How have you ever been part of a moment, an event so epic, so incredible that you found yourself being swept up in a bigger story? Maybe you went to an incredible music concert, you know, tens or hundreds or thousands of other people, you know, with music, with art, incredible amounts of noise and emotion going on. Maybe you went to a big sporting stadium in the crowds with thousands and thousands of other people shouting, screaming, willing your team across the line. Uh, Maybe you went to a big conference. Maybe you were involved in a protest or something like that, willing for change to happen. Or maybe even you just went to the theater and saw an absolutely brilliant film. You know, like when you go to the theater and um, there's like one level of going to theater where basically you're the annoying person who's on their phone and eating popcorn and the movie's going on in the background. Then there's like the second level where like you're in the middle of the theater and you're paying attention. And then there's the third level where basically you're hardly even there anymore because you're so just swept up in the bigger story. You know, when we find ourselves in those moments, we forget, don't we? We forget if we're hungry, we forget if we're tired, we forget if we're supposed to be somewhere totally different altogether because we are involved in something transcendent, something amazing, something bigger than just ourselves. But I wonder if I was to then sort of transfer across and ask you a slightly different question and ask you, what is it? about Jesus, if you would call yourself a Christian this morning? What is it about Jesus that so caught you up in the Christian story? Um, Maybe it might be that you you found out that Jesus could forgive you for some of the pain and brokenness and things in your past. Maybe it was that Jesus has given you hope of eternal life. Maybe it's that Jesus is walking with you through all the storms. Maybe that Jesus has given you gifts. There's so many different things that Jesus gives to us. But at the same time, if uh, you were to zoom out a little bit, if you were to pull back the shot from just the very most personal, most intimate bits of your life and your relationship with Jesus, maybe you would see a bigger story at work. Like this shot is zooming out right now and you can suddenly see more things in the corners of the shot. In the same way, it's that Jesus is doing a bigger story. And the story that Jesus is writing is in the hall of history. It's in all of creation. It's a story, the unfolding drama, which is often referred to in the Bible as the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is an unfolding epic drama, not in a way where when you pull the camera back, you're sitting in row ZZZ at the top tier of the Staples Center or Dodgers Stadium or the Coliseum, but actually you are there in the middle of the action. You have a jersey on because you are part of the team. You have your name and your number on the back because you are part of the story. The event that the whole of the Bible describes is the kingdom of God. When God was healing you, as Emmy talked about last week, when God was freeing you, it wasn't just so that you could live your best or your most blessed life. It was actually to get you ready to participate, to get involved in the greatest story of the whole world, his story, history, which is God's kingdom on earth. And so over the summer, we're going to take time to examine the shape of the kingdom of God, but also how we as God's people are called to be part of the action in our lives today. 
Now, if you look at the Bible, you will see the evidence of the kingdom from like Genesis 1 verse 1 to the very end of the book of Revelation. Every part of the Bible talks about the kingdom, but particularly Jesus as the central figure in the whole Bible. He so often speaks of this kingdom. He does it um, when he's teaching his disciples. He does it in parables. He does it um, in so many different ways. He enacts it through his life. He enacts it through his physical death and his resurrection. But also we learn about the kingdom of God by the way that he interacts with very normal, very ordinary, very broken people. And if you ever spotted, but when you go through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which are the stories of Jesus's life, you often hear verses which sound a bit like, Jesus was walking along the road one day and he bumped into somebody at the side of the street. It kind of sounds almost quaint and fluky and nice, a bit of random chance. But if you look more closely, you realize that every encounter that Jesus has with another human being is deliberate, it's intentional, it's put there in scripture so that we can understand more about Jesus and about his kingdom. And so over the next seven Sundays, we're going to take a journey together and look at seven encounters that Jesus has with ordinary people. And as we do that, I I want to ask you to keep in mind a particular question. And the particular question I want you to keep in mind is, what does this encounter teach us, teach me about my role in the kingdom of God, or as we are renaming it uh, this season, the kingdom of light, as you'll see in a moment. The kingdom that Jesus speaks of has many different names. Jesus speaks of it in terms of parables like saying it's like treasure, or it's like a net, or it's like leaven or yeast, or even it's like a mustard seed. And all those uh, All those metaphors are really beautiful because they give us a sense of the bigger, the growing in the kingdom. But there's another metaphor, which has been the one that's kind of been at the heart of my story, the heart of my life. It's been the very thing that I have wanted to spend my ministry seeing come about on earth. And it's the ministry, the metaphor of light. And so today is my way of introduction to our series. What I want us to do is take a few minutes to examine what Jesus has to say to us about being part of the kingdom of light. And so we're going to do that uh, by introducing it in two little ways now. First up, we're going to watch a video which one of our community has made for us. And then secondly, we're going to have our Bible reading from this morning from Chris Fetchy. So take a look at this. I see your world in light that shines behind me, lit by a sun whose rays I cannot see. The smallest gleam of light still seems to find me, or find the child who's hiding deep inside me. I see your light reflected in the water, or kindled suddenly in someone's eyes. It shimmers through the living leaves of summer, or spills from silver veins in laden skies. It gathers in the candles at our vespers. It concentrates in tiny drops of dew. At times it sings for joy. At times it whispers. But all the time it calls me back to you. I follow you upstream through this dark night, my saviour, source and spring my life 
and light. Matthew 5, verses 13 through 16. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Well, thank you so much to Joe um, and also to Chris for helping us out with that. We'll post a link to that video so that you can watch it again a little bit later on. If you know anything about the context in which Jesus arrives on earth, you'll know that the period in history 2,000 years ago was a particularly difficult and a dark time. God's people had been exiled far from home. They'd been scattered throughout the Near East because of brokenness, because of sin, because of darkness and rebellion against God. All sorts of pain had entered into the world. But within that context, prophets wrote. Prophets came to bring God's word to the people. And part of what the prophets did was that they came to explain the pain, explain the things that were going on and the reasons for what they were facing. But also the prophets wrote to speak about a time that had yet to come, a time when God would rescue the world, when God would shatter the darkness and the brokenness. And a guy called Isaiah, who's maybe the most famous of all the prophets, he writes this in Isaiah 9, probably somewhere around three or 400 years before Christ came to earth. In the future, he, who's God, will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You might recognize that passage because we read it every Christmas because, of course, the prophet is speaking of Jesus. When Isaiah wrote, he recognized that there was a deep spiritual darkness that had entered into the world, that despite God's beauty, God's great creation, that sin, suffering, death, evil had all damaged, brought darkness into the lightness, that the pain, disease, the war, the rebellion against God, the forces of evil had invaded the good light world that God created and wreaked spiritual havoc and emotional darkness. But then, at the lowest moment in human history, Jesus, God himself, steps into the darkness. When Matthew speaks of it in Matthew 4.16, he says, he quotes Isaiah when he says, the people living in the darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. When John opens up his gospel account to explain to the world who Jesus is, he says, John 1.5, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus himself says in John 8.12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. What you see when Jesus arrives on earth is a cosmic shift of the kind that you're only ever detailed in Star Wars movies and great Marvel adventure. You know, you see the dark sky, it's pitch, it's murky, and in comes this shaft of radiant light that completely transforms the environment. Light changes everything when you're living in darkness. 
a, f a few years ago, uh, Laura and I went on holiday to a place called Canary Islands. It's a little set of islands off the coast of Africa. And I woke up really early one morning, and I climbed up a hill uh, near where we were staying, looking out over this beautiful bay with fishing villages and resorts along the coastline. But it was so dark, could hardly see anything to climb up the hill. And as I looked out over the bay, I could just very, vaguely make out any sort of shapes. There was no sound. Nobody was moving around. But as I sat there praying and just listening and watching, the sun crept up over the horizon in the distance. And as the sun crept up over the horizon, suddenly life entered into the island. Suddenly people started moving around. The birds started singing in the trees. The fishing boats all went out to their day's work. Light changes everything. Jesus says, I am the light. Not I am a light or I'm a nice idea in the world, but I am the complete opposite of the brokenness and the darkness and everything that Jesus saw at his time. But let's be honest, in 2020, everything that we see as well, Jesus is the light. And when I asked you that question at the beginning, what I was really asking you is this, is what is it about Jesus's light, which has entered into your life that you love so much. Jesus says the kingdom of God, the light of the world is a kingdom of healing, of wholeness, of love, of grace, of mercy and forgiveness because it is the kingdom of light. But if you were listening to Chris's reading a minute ago, you might have spotted something a bit different, something unusual, something that surprised you. Because when Jesus writes in this particular bit of the gospel, he didn't actually say, I am the light of the world. He actually said, you are the light of the world. Now, it's not like Jesus going to his closest friend, hey, John, you're the disciple I love. You're so great. I'm going to hand the baton over to you. You are the light of the world. Or Peter, you're the rock on which I'm going to build my church. You're the light of the world. No, he's speaking in the plural. He's speaking to the whole people of God, his church, and he's saying, you are the light of the world. Now, I imagine when the disciples heard that, just like maybe when you heard that and I heard that, you might go, what? Oh, no. That sounds terrible. You know, the world has been waiting for 2,000 years, 5,000 years, millions of years for Jesus to turn up on earth. Jesus turns up, conquers the death and the darkness and all the brokenness, and after a few years of ministry, says to these guys, oh, by the way, guys, it's over to you. You're the light of the world. I reckon they must have been absolutely freaked out as I think about all that we're facing in covid the idea that I am supposed to be the source of all the goodness and the nice things and the love on earth sounds somewhere between overwhelming and enough to make me run for the nearest toilet. It's terrible if we think that we have to conjure up all of the good things on earth. But I want to show you by way of a little cheesy and funny illustration what I think Jesus means when he says, you are the light of the world. Now, you're not in the room with me this morning, so you have to kind of bear with me because this probably would work better if we were all together. But let's see like this. So when we arrived in this room this morning, we're in the basement of a big church. It was very dark. In fact, it's so dark in here that until you turn the lights on, you basically just walk into the nearest wall because you just can't see anything. But this room has lights all the way across the ceiling. They are lovely. They are warm. They allow us to see. And let's just say for a moment that the lights that are in this room are like God's light that shines down on us. It allows us to be alive. It allows us to carry on with what we're doing. 
Now, if we think that maybe we've got to generate the same kind of light that's on the ceiling, even if you've got a really shiny forehead under those lights, it's not going to work well for you. We know pretty much that we don't have the ability to generate light. But what if for a minute we saw our lives not as somehow got to muster up enough light, but what if we saw our lives as a mirror? Here we go. Here's my mirror. It's not particularly beautiful. It's not particularly nice. Uh, it doesn't have any great aesthetic value. And you'll notice if you're looking closely, it's not even particularly clean because I cleaned it this morning myself. Now, if you thought of your life a minute like a mirror, you'd realize that there are two positions that you as a follower of Jesus can take. And these are the two positions that I think Christians often take. The first one is this. There you are. If you're looking closely, if I get it right, you might even see the camera that I get to preach into every Sunday morning. What I'm doing is I'm pointing my life at the world. I'm pointing it out. I am reflecting the world to the world. Now we do that because we wanna be cool. We wanna fit in. We don't wanna be seen to be weird Christians. We don't wanna be seen to be a bit crazy. We want to have a message that's relevant for our culture and our generation. But if you notice when I do that, all I'm really doing actually is just reflecting all the worldly values, all the things of the darkness back to the darkness. The second pose that Christians often take is the pose of worship. Here we go. This is my pose of worship. I have to go down a bit so you can see it. The pose of worship where we recognize God's radiance, we recognize his glory, we recognize the beauty and majesty and splendor of God, and so we just basically point our lives up at that majesty. I think this is what we're going to do in heaven if you read through Revelation. We basically bask in the glory of God's light and his splendor. And actually there's a really important and amazing place for that. But if you notice as well, you're not being very transformed by the light right now. No one around me is being transformed by that light. But there is a third pose, a third way that you can understand what it means to be the light. And it looks like this. Let's see if I can get it. Okay, here you are. Now, can you see it? You see the difference. You aren't amazed by my light, I don't think. You aren't amazed by my mirror. But through me, reflected, you can see light in the darkness. As I angle my life both up to God and also out to the world, I am able to reflect the beauty, the majesty, the goodness of God into the very darkest spaces. N.T. Wright, who's maybe the, the greatest theologian on earth right now, he just released a book um, and he wrote this in his book, which came after my analogy, I should point out. So he obviously stole it from me. That's a lie. Uh, it says this, we as Christians are called to reflect the powerful love of the creator into the world and we're called to reflect the praises of the world back to God. John Calvin says, it is the task of the church to make the invisible kingdom visible. See, in the Old Testament, God was so holy, he was so bright, he was so other that normal people couldn't even gaze at his beauty because it was too bright, and so they had the priests. And the priest's jobs was to mediate between God and his people, to point people, to reflect the goodness of God out into the world. When Jesus came along and Paul came along, they said that we, the church, have become the royal priesthood. We now are the very people whose job it is to stand in the gap between the glory of God and the darkness in the world. In fact, God has designed it that the very way that people see light in the darkness is supposed to be through our mirrors. Now, that probably feels overwhelming. It probably feels impossible. 
If you've just gone through the week with all the news we've faced and all the changes and schools and shutdowns again, it can be enough just to make it to church on a Sunday morning, let alone think that you can have any impact on the world. But the beauty, the beauty of seeing ourselves as mirrors and not as sources of goodness is actually when we realize that it's not based on how cool I am, fortunately. It's not based on how good I am. It's not based on how strong I am, how much of a great theological mind that I have, how gifted I am. It's based on Jesus, on his goodness, on his light, on his life. Jesus says, let your light shine. He might as well have written this, let my light shine through you. Don't hide your light. Don't hide. And so as I come towards the end this morning, I want to ask you these questions. How is your life pointed up to Jesus in worship, in prayer? How are you soaking in his presence? We are at a moment in history when you can't just go along to church on Sunday morning, hug the person next for you, sing your heart out, and join in in the normal ways. But we also live in a moment in history where we have the internet, where we have incredible worship resources. Even our own worship uh, uh, coordinator, Daniel, has just released, released a whole new recording, which is on the app called Tribal, ways that you can join in in worship. How are you spending time in God's presence? Because if you're not spending time in God's presence, you probably aren't going to have much to shine into the world. But also, how are you facing outwards towards the darkness in your life? How are you interfacing with those who are broken? How are you interfacing with those who are hurting? As far as I can see, one of the deep problems that the church has had for many years is that it sees worship as something that you do within four walls hidden away from the world. It sees prayer as something that is removed from what happens from Monday to Friday. But in these moments, we have an opportunity to worship God, to face our lives outwards, to impact the darkness with the kingdom of light. I believe that is the call that we have We don't do it as individuals. When Jesus spoke, he spoke about the church together. I don't know if you've ever been out into the desert where they have those massive great solar arrays. You know, all those different mirrors and they're all pointing in their own spaces at a central point. Each one of them on its own could do nothing particularly impressive. But when they work together, they focus God's light into a dark space. They can create incredible amount of light and heat and energy. How are we focusing our lives on Jesus? And how are we focusing our lives out into the darkness this week? I want us to pray together. And as we pray, I want to offer a way or two that you might want to respond. But if you uh, feel able um, where you are, you might want to just reach out your hands. I'm going to invite the Holy Spirit to come and minister to us.